It would be great to invite Dave up to speak with us this morning. He's continuing our series, Slow Down. It's the second one. Thanks so much for being here, Dave. Cool. I pray for you before you chat with us. God, thank you so much for Dave. Thank you for the blessing that he is to the Woody's Church family. And would you bless him as he comes to talk to us this morning. Lord, prepare our hearts, open our ears to hear what it is that you have to say to each of us today. Amen. Amen. Great stuff. Thank you. Well, it's lovely to be with you this morning. Um, The topic, obviously, we're looking at this series of slow down, but this morning we're going to have to speed up because I've got a lot to get through. So to give you a taste of just how much there is on Sabbath, the Bible Project have 50 hours. Sorry, that's a lie. They have 50 pages in a document you can download for free or 14 hours of podcasts on the word Sabbath. So you can imagine there's quite a wealth of material on this subject. And it's a bit of a hot topic at the moment with books like The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and lots of people talking about it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start with the reading I was given, then we're going to pretend that doesn't exist and go back to Genesis. Then we're going to go from Genesis through to this point and carry on from there. So the reading for today is from Exodus 20. Now you'll be familiar with this. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's where we are given this commandment about Sabbath. So it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So you can see Sabbath is linked to the creation account. So if we flip back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the important thing to realize here is, as Karl Barth says, creation is grace. God didn't have to make the world, but he chose to. It's an act of grace from God towards us. And it's not an accident. In many of the creation accounts in the ancient Near East, creation was actually a byproduct of the gods fighting. It was never intended to exist. It's like a secondary effect of the actions of the gods. Whereas in the Hebrew account, as we read in the beginning of Genesis, this is a deliberate thing that God does as part of his plan. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now what happens after that is a series of creation events. And they all follow a similar pattern. So to give you an example, the first one, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. Now the first thing we have to get our heads around is that Genesis 1 is constructed. It's not just a rambly bit of prose explaining what happened. The writer of Genesis has deliberately constructed the first chapter and the beginning of the second chapter to make some important points, as we will see. So light and dark, and then the story goes on. Now what we have is these series of couplets. So light and dark matches sun, moon, and stars. Sea and sky matches fish and birds. Land and plants matches animals and man. One writer talks about the difference between forming and filling. So the first three days were forming, and the second three days are filling what was formed 
with the created things. And you can see this pattern again and again and again throughout each of those days. And God said, let there be, and there was. And there was evening and there was morning, the whatever day. The fact that there's a pattern means when the pattern stops, it's an important thing for us to notice. So when we get to day seven, the pattern stops. So we've had this repetitive model up until day seven. And then it says, through the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. The words rested there can mean a number of different things, but Sabbath, the Hebrew word Sabbath, is most closely linked to cease and desist. But here in day seven, what we have is we have God stopping, ceasing, but we also have this idea of inhabiting what had been created. So, because the pattern breaks down on day seven, the writer of Genesis is saying day seven is the point, okay? We have this pattern all the way up until day seven, then the pattern breaks because the writer is saying, pay attention, day seven is really important. And just to drive this home, the whole of that beginning chapter of Genesis is full of sevens and multiples of sevens. So when I say it was constructed, you can see that more clearly when you start to analyze the Hebrew words. So the sentences, <clears throat> 1 verse 1 has seven words. Chapter 1 verse 2, 14 words. Chapter 2 verse 1 has 35 words, multiples of seven. God appears 35 times, earth 21, heaven 21. And these phrases are also repeated in multiples of seven. Seven matters. Get it? Got the point that ultimately the writer's trying to drive home again and again and again that seven is important. This is not because seven is magical. It's not because seven's really important as a thing in and of itself. It's because of what it represents. So what does seven represent? Well, you'll notice that the pattern is broken down on day seven and there is no evening, morning, the something day. There's no end to day seven. Day seven is eternal. Day seven represents how things were meant to be. Day seven is this eternal presence of God. You might call it eternal rest. So it's really important that we get the point that day seven is this idea of this eternal relationship with God. It was meant to stretch on for all time. And so what does day seven look like? If we want to have an understanding of what this eternal rest day seven looks like, if you read through day six, what you begin to see is a series of important points. The first is that the whole of creation and man's relationship with creation on day seven is blessing. God blesses them. He then says to them, be fruitful. He says, have something to do. So there was actually something to do. So let's not get Sabbath and doing nothing confused. Sabbath has stuff for us to do. I give you every seed-bearing plant. God actually provides for mankind. So if you read the Enumina Elish, the Babylonian creation account, man's job was to provide food for the gods. In the Hebrew account, God provides food for mankind. It's on its head. It's completely counterintuitive to the age in which it was written. It paints such a different picture of God. Not a God to be served by us, but a God who wishes to bless 
and serve us. It's an incredible picture. And so it talks about the breath of life, the tree of life. So in summary, what we have is this picture on day seven of what Tim Mackey calls as it should be-ness. Okay? Eternal as it should be-ness. So that picture that Genesis paints is one of blessing, life, abundance, flourishing, activity, peace, relationship, lasting forever. And if you want a shorthand for it, just think of it as harmony with God, each other, and with his creation. That is the amazing picture of day seven. That's what God wants for us. That's the eternal rest picture that God has in store for us. But what happens? Adam and Eve. We know that they lose this incredible as it should be us. And the picture in Genesis, 7, in Genesis chapter 3, after they fall, is of this terrible list of rubbish stuff happening. So instead of this eternal rest, this as it should be us, this beautiful picture of harmony and flourishing, what do you get? You get disharmony with God, with each other, and with the creation. And day eight is where we now find ourselves. We're living in the day eight that was never intended. God always intended for us to live with him in day seven eternally, but day eight happens. So if we're living in day eight, what is the meaning of day seven eternal rest? What is the meaning of Sabbath for us if we find ourselves now living in this broken, unharmonious day eight? Well, that's why in the, New, in the Old Testament, God gives the people of Israel this law about Sabbath. Because what he's trying to do to them is say, here is a massive signpost every week to what it should be like. As it should be in us. So day seven was a signpost. It was never intended to be an end in and of itself. It was always meant to be pointing to the people of God to be leaning forwards to that eternal rest that God has for us. To be conscious that life is actually about him and relationship with him and not all the distractions around us. So that's the question for us. Having given Israel this signpost to this eternal rest, to this as it should be us. What one writer calls, God creates cathedrals in time. I really like that phrase. Cathedrals in time. It's like he carves out in physical time moments for us to engage with him. And so what does that mean for us? Well, one of the problems I find is this tension between law and grace. Because ultimately, Sabbath is a gift from God to us, a chance to enjoy his presence, but we turn it into a set of rules. And we even turn it into this idea that actually we all need to keep the Sabbath today. No, we don't. We don't have to keep the Sabbath today. Because the minute you start saying have to or should, you're creating more laws for yourself. Whereas God wants Sabbath to be a gift and a blessing. It's interesting how Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. When the early church is confronted by the fact lots of Greek and Gentile people are coming to faith, they write them a letter. In that letter, do they tell the Gentile church they have to keep the Sabbath? No. They don't even mention it. 
So when the gospel spread from Israel into the the non-Jewish world, the early church was not keeping the Sabbath because that was part of the law. And we live under grace. So Paul is terrified that the early church will slip back into old patterns of behavior of creating rules and laws for themselves. But he doesn't want that for them because he wants them to understand that Sabbath is a gift from God that's to do with his presence. So the first thing to say is Sabbath is about so much more than Sundays. If you've got Sunday in your mind when you think of the word Sabbath, then you've missed the point. I want you to hit delete, right? Eradicate Sunday from your minds when you think of Sabbath. Growing up in Wales in the 70s, Sundays sucked. (laughs) They were awful. You couldn't do anything. Everything was shut. You couldn't go anywhere. There was nothing on TV. It rained, well, in South Wales, it rained all the time. And the reality is you began to dread Sundays. Sundays became the least positive day of the week. When we started doing this series, and I was talking about Sabbath in lots of different churches, older members of the congregation would come up to me with their stories of what they weren't allowed to do on Sundays, or their stories of what they had to do on Sundays. So my mother-in-law came up to me and told me that she had to wear, Sunday for her was all about her feet hurting and blisters. I'm like, what's that got to do with Sunday? It's because she had to wear her best shoes. And her mum bought her shoes that were way too big so that she could grow into them. So the point was, this is the logic of this, they were best shoes until she'd worn them in so much they were no longer best and then she could wear them to school. So for her, it was about feet hurting. Another member of the congregation, it was about itchy dresses. Had to wear these dresses she hated. So why is it right if the picture in Genesis is of flourishing, is of beautiful presence of God, wonderful gift, do we strip out of our lives everything we enjoy and then say that's Sabbath? It doesn't make any sense. We made Sundays less than the rest of the week, worse than the rest of the week, when Sabbath is supposed to be an incredible gift from God to us for our flourishing. So we need to remember, when we think of Sabbath, we need to be thinking and looking for harmony with God, with each other, and with his creation. The second thing to say is Sabbath is about so much more than stopping. Stopping is good. If you're shattered, if you're tired, stopping is good. If you feel like you are a hamster in a wheel, stopping can be really helpful. But here's the thing. Don't think that stopping is what Sabbath is all about. Because Sabbath is about relationship. And when we make it about stopping, actually we turn it into a little bit of an idol. Because I don't know about you, but I am constantly feeling restless. There's a sense of restlessness in our society today and of busyness. And Augustine says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. He writes this in his book Confessions. This is a man who in the 300s tried everything. Okay, this is a guy who did everything, pursued career, sex, money, power, did it all, and found no fulfillment whatsoever. So when he pens these words, he's expressing something he's experienced himself, that he's tried all this stuff and he hasn't found any rest. 
And he's come to the realization that rest is found in God alone. So here's the bad news. It doesn't matter how many holidays you go on. You aren't going to find rest for your weary souls on holiday. You're not going to find rest for your weary souls on long walks. Because you will not find anything in creation that will fill your infinite heart. Only God can fill your infinite heart with his rest. One writer puts it like this. Our heart's hunger is infinite, which is why we will ultimately be disappointed with anything merely finite. Humans are those strange creatures who can never be fully satisfied by anything created, though that never stops us trying. Hear me now. There is nothing on this earth that has been created that will fill your heart. There is nothing on this earth that has been created that will give you the rest your soul truly seeks. All those things are found in God alone. So Sabbath is meant to be a signpost to us, pointing us to the thing that will actually give us rest. Sabbath is about relationship with God. And Sabbath is what we are made for. We're made for day seven. We're made for that eternal relationship in harmony with God, each other, and with creation. That's what we're looking for, and that is where we find true rest. So spend your time investing in those things. Spend your time. Be active in pursuing that relationship with God, that relationship, the beauty of his creation. Those things are all good, but ultimately rest comes from God alone. But the problem is so many of us are hiding from God. So many of us are fearful of God. So many of us think we're not good enough to spend time in God's presence. And I'll finish with this. This is Whitchurch High School in Cardiff. This is the school that gave the world Gareth Bale, Sam Warburton, Geraint Thomas, and David Roderick. (laughs) This is my old high school. And you'll see, just to the left of that red door is the headmaster's study. And outside his study was a series of lights. There was a red light and a green light. If the red light was on, that meant one of two things was happening. Someone was getting roasted, or someone was basically doing something right and therefore getting some praise from the headmaster. So you would sit outside his office, waiting for the light to go green, wondering which of the two you were going to be. Now, I was a good boy, so obviously. But the point is, for so many of us, we sit outside God's office, thinking he's like a headmaster, unwilling to go in unless we are 100% confident that we've had a good week, that we've been good, that we've done the right things, thought the right things, said the right things. And unless we're in that right place, we don't go into the office for fear of what reaction we'll get. But the beauty of the Bible is this reminder to us time and time again that not only is God waiting, he's running towards us. He loves us and he wants to spend time with us. So Sabbath is God calling us, reaching for us, crying out to us to say, come spend time with me. You are my beloved children. Come find rest for your weary souls with me. Which actually means Sabbath is a seven day a week thing. Sabbath is about God's presence and how that influences all of your week, not just Sundays. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Sabbath. I thank you for the signpost that it is to us of 
that beautiful picture of rest, that beautiful picture of harmony with you, with each other and with this creation. And so, Lord, help us to seek that place of rest with you, to not be distracted by the things of this world, to not think that created things can fill our hearts, Lord, but to long for and to look for you, to spend time in your presence, to be actively setting aside time with you, for then we will truly know what it is to find rest. Thank you, Lord. Amen.